All right. So we are back into our series entitled Unlocking Peace. Unlocking Peace. And if you missed last week, you can catch up on YouTube. And you probably do want to catch up on YouTube because last week we talked about the first key to unlocking peace, and that is believing. Believing that God is who the Bible says he is. Things will not stick together if you miss out on that one piece. If, if you don't believe in God, if you don't believe God is who the Bible says he is, you are gonna, you're going to struggle ever being able to have a long-lasting peace that navigates through all the circumstances in life. And that's what we want for you. We want you to have long-lasting peace. So if you need to catch up, um, do that. Do that online. I genuinely believe that if you listen and apply what we're talking about when it comes to peace, that your, your anxiety levels and fears are going to go way down. And that your, your very real internal calmness, if, that, if, if that's the way to say it, your peacefulness on the inside will, will definitely go up. The first key, as I said before, was, was believing. And the question that we were asking last week was, was this. especially If you're feeling fearful, if you're feeling afraid, if you're feeling anxiety... The first question was, okay, what am I not believing about God? What am I not believing about God which is keeping me from enjoying perfect peace today? What am I not believing about God that's keeping me from enjoying perfect peace today? So that was, that was last week. Today we're going to talk about the second key. The second key to having peace and to, to living with peace. And that second key is contentment. Contentment. That was what we're going to be talking about today. If you want to have real peace in your life, in any circumstance, then you're going to need to learn how to use the key of contentment. All right, I'm going to start off by uh, showing this picture. Uh, I, I, every week I'm going to be showing a picture where at one point in my time in Israel or thereabouts, God spoke to me a lesson on peace and he touched my heart and he challenged my heart when it came to peace. This is today's picture. It is a picture of the hill country of Judah. That's the hill country of Judah. As you can see, the hill country of Judah is beautiful. It's peaceful. It's very safe. The, the, no invading army is going here. There's no roads. There's just like these small little tracks, these little, little paths that only the locals know. Um, the invading armies, they go to the cities. They take, they take the big places. This is just for the locals. It is safe, safe, safe. You can see in this picture, there's an, an old village there, center, right in the middle. That's where the spring was. There's a, there's a nice spring there. I, I, got, I walked down there from, from this location where I took this picture. Um, you can see maybe on the bottom left, there's some terrace farms there. Um, there there's ruins of them up higher on the hill. But, but basically, this whole hillside was these terrace farms and these, these, simple, these simple houses. Uh, John the Baptist was born here in this area. Actually, not right on in this village hill. He was born to the left, maybe a hill or two just over to the left, but this same, same kind of environment. It's, so this is also then where Mary, Jesus' mother, went uh, when she was pregnant. She stayed in this area for six months while she was pregnant in this peaceful, calm, beautiful, way out of the way, way out of the spotlight area. This is the hill country of Judah. Again, it's beautiful, it's peaceful, it's safe. Now the thing is about this area is nobody is rich out here. Nobody. You, you, don't, you, can't, 
you, you can't get rich out here. There's nothing out here that would allow you to get rich or get ahead. This is a very consistent generation after generation place. No one is rich. This is the simple life. A simple life. Again, cities and all that ambition. Jerusalem is kind of behind me or slightly behind me, slightly to the left. Uh, you know, it's a couple miles. I don't know, seven miles. I'm just kind of guessing. It seems like about that. Um, but it, but this, is the, this is, it feels like a whole other world away. Like, like the city seems so removed from this, this place, this environment. For, for, for the God's people, this was the dream, this place here. The, the simple life, this is the hill country vision of contentment. And you see it all through the Bible, this hill country vision of contentment. You see um, this, these phrases like, everyone under their own fig tree, or everyone under their own vine. And the, the idea was, if I had my own vine, if I had my own fig tree, that would be enough. You know, like a simple house, my own vine, my own fig tree, in this, this environment. That's what they're writing about when they talk about those, those sort of imagery. This is the vision of the, the peaceful life, the content life, right here on this, on this hillside. Now, again, where I'm standing here and, and where I'm taking this picture from, uh, I had a not, another one of those God moments where God wanted to talk to me about peace. And he was like, Brian, Brian, I know this appeals to you. I know this appeals to you because, it's, again, it's beautiful, it's simple, it's, it's calm. But could you be content here all your life? Could you be content here? Now, I want to say yes. You know, I, I know that that's the right answer. Or I wanna, we're going to be content in all circumstances or whatever. But I, I know that's the right answer. But, but could I be content here? Uh, actually, deep down, I was starting to hear what the Holy Spirit wanted to say to me. And the an- my true answer was probably not probably not and in fact I was thinking you know this would be a great place for a second home (laughs) for a second home that's like the opposite of contentment I don't have a second home but man it'd be great to have a second home there in that in that peaceful place uh, a place to recharge a place to get away from the city uh, and from the the go life Um, I could I do a lifetime though in such a simple a simple quiet place I'm not, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Uh, I love progress. I love the city. I love the opportunities of the city. I, I like being an urban pastor and the challenges of being an urban pastor trying to reach cities and, and, and see the city and the generation for the gospel. The challenges required innovation and creativity, intentionality, and all that kind of stuff. Could I be content in that kind of environment, that peaceful, serene place? This picture appeals to me as a holiday, not as an everyday. As a holiday, not as an everyday. So God, God wanted to talk to me about this. And he wanted to talk to me about the state of my heart and, and the, the levels of, of contentment or discontentment going on there. Because in the days of the Bible, they had a vision of what living the content life looks like. And it's this. This is that vision. If I had my own vine, if I had my own fig tree, Simple house, safe location, that is the life. That is the life. And I kind of realized that mm, I'm not starting there right now. That's not where I'm at right now. And in some ways, my lack of contentment, my lack of contentment has cost me in this area of living with peace. Has, Has any lack of contentment called discontentment, has any discontentment kept you 
from having some peace. Paul, Paul, the apostle, he writes to Timothy. He writes to Timothy, who at that time, Timothy is a pastor in a highly urban context. He's in the city of Ephesus, uh, one of the major cities of the Roman Empire at that time. Uh, so he's writing to Timothy in an urban context, thinking of, though, this, this hill country of Jude Judea, uh, of that kind of peaceful environment. And to, to Timothy, he writes this about contentment in 1 Timothy chapter 6. He says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. I hear a lot about godliness. Be godly, be godly. Be godly with content, contentment. Godliness with contentment is great gain for we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out. If we have food and clothing, we will be content with these. That's like a declaration. We will be content with, with these now, the context before and after these verses has to do with the, the allure of seeking to be wealthy, of, of seeking material gain. And there's a warning before and after these verses of the ambition and how the ambition to become rich can be a trap. Whereas contentment in whatever your context, whether you're in an urban context or a rural context, that, that's huge. I, I want to say, and I want to make sure that, that we're clear on this, the Bible does not depict being rich as wrong. God often blesses people in the Bible with wealth. You see that with, with David and with Solomon and with um, Abraham. Paul knows what it's like to have a lot and a little. Uh, Jesus was supported by some very wealthy uh, women such as Mary Magdalene and, and other people. Very wealthy people. It's, it's not the wealth that's the issue. Uh, the Bible makes it clear though that it is the lack of contentment driving the pursuit of riches that trips people up. It's the lack of contentment driving the pursuit of riches that trips people up. And so the question is, can I be content today with, with what I have, what God has given me, uh, be it much or little, can I be content with this today? Can I be content with this pr provision currently? Or am I obsessed with tomorrow maybe just a bit more tomorrow a bit more maybe I need to repent maybe I need to repent about running after more and and acquiring more than I can actually afford right now uh, living living on more than God has provided for me living uh, not content with what I had but instead running after more and purchasing more and then getting into debt and all that kind of stuff can I live within the current provision that God has given me can I be content with life in lockdown? Can I be content with life in lockdown? When I'm not living maybe exactly how I want to do with the freedoms that I'd love to live in right now. With, you know, like, I can't go where I want to go. I can't eat where I want to eat. But can I be content in lockdown right now? Uh, financial um, contentment, just one of the many areas that are connected with contentment, um, is a universal issue. All of these are universal issues. And there's a lie that's connected to contentment that we, we tend to believe. We, we pretty much believe. Um, the lie is that we think is, if I can just get to that place, that, that, just, that just next bit, um, if I can just get by that, that next thing, or if I, can just, if I can just have a little bit more money, if I, can just, if I can just have a little bit more freedom, then I will be happy. 
But that's, that's, not the, that's not the truth. That's the trap. That's not the truth. That's the trap. The trap is if I can just have a little bit more. But then it moves. You get there and, and, and the line moves. And then you're like, you want to reach a little bit higher. And so you're, you're actually never content if it's based on getting just a little bit more. Contentment is about being content today as you are. Uh, the line always moves. I remember reading this, this story that seems kind of surreal about this basketball player, Scotty Pippen. I don't care much about basketball at all. I'm from Seattle. Our team moved away decades ago. The whole city's burned by it. We're, we're, we're a mess. But anyways, so uh, basketball is not my thing. But I do remember 25 years ago, there was this guy named Scotty Pippen. And the reason why I know him, I didn't really know hardly any basketball players, but I knew him because he was like Michael Jordan's right-hand man. Michael Jordan, uh, he, the two of them were this amazing team and, and won lots of championships. Scottie Pippen once said earlier in his career, like, you know, after a couple years, that he would love to make $100 million as a basketball player over the course of his career. $100 million. And for his last contract, his last contract was a contract for $56 million, and sure enough, it just topped him over the $100 million mark. And he, so he ended up making $109 million over the course of his career. And, and he, it was known that he had been like, oh man, how great would it be to be able to get $100 million? The, the reporters then came up to him, and, and he'd reached that goal, and he's like, okay, how do you feel? You, you, you got your goal, you $100 million, congratulations, that's amazing. And, and Scotty was like, yeah, okay, but, but now I wonder what it would be like to have a billion dollars. A billion, can you imagine? That goal just moved on him. He couldn't, he couldn't just be, be happy and content with $100 million. You're thinking, I could be happy and content with $100 million? No. That is the lie we're talking about. The goals always move. If you can't be content today, you won't be content with 100 million. What you have today is enough. How much you have, what, what you've achieved, you can be content with that. Not, it's not about what you've achieved or what you haven't achieved. Contentment does not have to do with any of that sort of stuff. Contentment is entirely about embracing what God has given you with thankfulness and peace. It's about embracing it, choosing contentment. Now, I've already referenced this passage several times, but so I'm going to read it. Paul not only wrote to Timothy about contentment, he also wrote to this church in Philippi, and he wrote about his own experience connected to contentment. And, and he, Paul writes this in Philippians chapter 4. He says, I don't say this out of need, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I find myself. I'm just going to say that again. That is key. I have learned. To be content in whatever circumstances I find myself. I know how to make do with little. And I know how to make do with a lot. In, any, in all circumstances, I've learned the secret of being content, whether well-fed or hungry. Whether in abundance or in need. I am able to do all things through him who gives me strength. By the way, that verse right there, that, that, that one that we tend to be like, let's go take this mountain, let's go take that mountain, we, let's go take this, we can we we just take the hill, oh, I can do all things through God who gives me strength and all that kind of stuff. That is in the context of contentment. 
I can do contentment in all circumstances by the one who gives me strength. That's free. The main thing that I want to focus on, though, in this passage is that Paul learns contentment. Contentment is learned. Contentment is learned. It's not natural. It's not normal. It's, it's not just something that you get the second you give your life to Jesus. No, contentment is learned. Have you learned how to be content with much or little? Have you learned how to be content in, with achieving much or achieving little? Have you learned how to be content in all circumstances? All circumstances. I think about Paul. So Paul's writing this from prison, right? So Paul, he, he's learned how to be content as, as this like guy who would go into cities and talk to people about Jesus and they would give their lives to Jesus and sure he'd get beat up and thrown in prison and all that kind of stuff, left for dead a time or two and, and all that. So, but, but he would see the church growing and taking root in different cities. Um, also he would get opportunities in different times of his life to preach in the same city for a long time like Antioch or like Corinth, he was there for a couple years, or, or Ephesus. And, and so he He'd be able to spend time in these cities and, and see the church really take off and be encouraged and grow and grow strong. But he also knew how to be content when he was in prison for a crime that he didn't do, although people are false accusing him, and the governor won't let him go even though the governor knows that he's, he's innocent because the governor's hoping for a bribe. And so he's stuck in prison for years, waiting. Instead of being out there with the people and, 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 and with the, the, the churches and starting more churches and, and that thing that resonates with his heart. And yet he learned the secret of being content in all circumstances. Even in the worst circumstances, you can be content and have peace. In fact, I'm going to say it this way. There is no context, no matter how uncomfortable, no matter how unfair that can keep you from being content. There's no context, there's no circumstances, no matter how uncomfortable, that can keep you from being content. You can be content today. You can be content today. You can be, in fact, this is what I want you to do. We're going to just do something. It's just crazy. It's just, we're just going to do it right now on the chat, on the live chat right there. I want you to type the words, I can be content today, and, and, and hit enter or send or whatever the button is. I can be content today. I can be content. You hit that. You send that out on the stream. Um, and then also other people, like if you're, if you're watching, a few of you are watching the same thing, type it, let them type it in. I can be content today. I can be content today. This is the truth that goes against the massive avalanche of lies that says you can't be content today until you get this other thing. But we need to be anchored in this truth. I can be content today. I can be content today. There's no context, no matter how uncomfortable, that can keep you from being content. When I was in Israel, I got my world completely rocked by, by learning something that was, that was so huge that it, is, it, it shaped the way that I, I read a lot, of, a lot of the Bible. Now you're thinking, warning, warning, warning. No, no, no. This is very biblical, but it was just, just this something that I just needed to learn, and I needed to see, and I needed to grasp. And, and, and it was stunning. It was a really stunning thing. And it has to do with the promised land. 
This is what I learned about the promised land, a stunning revelation. The promised land is not the best land. The promised land is not the best land. It's like, what? The promised land is not the best land? Of course it must be the best land. I mean, Abraham, God picked Abraham, his friend, and he brought him 500 miles and then 500 more, and he gets to the promised land, and then, and then he tells Abraham, I'm going to give your descendants this land. It's like God's hand-picked land for God's hand-picked man. Well, that, that worked. That, that just came out. That's, woohoo! that's a fun moment. God, God Abraham, God, God hand-picked this land for Abraham. And so you're thinking, this must be the best land in all the world. But it's not. But it's not. It's not at all. In fact, there's other lands nearby that are better. That are better. I'm like, wait, what? It wasn't the best land. It was the land given to Abraham and his family. The, pro the land that promised to him. What was the best land in the area? Without a doubt, the best land in the area by a thousand miles is Egypt. Without a doubt, Egypt is far superior. You even just look at the history of the world and, the, and Egypt back in the, in the BCs, uh, you're going to see empire after empire rising. And even if one crumbles down, a new ones rise. Egypt is built for, it's just designed perfectly. It's, it's got the Nile River. So you've got this great, consistent agricultural thing. It's, it's protected by deserts and, and all that kind of stuff. Egypt is, is by far the best, mightiest land. Empires are built from there. Moses even writes about this. When, when God's people are going to go into the promised land, Moses writes about how, you know, like Egypt is better, but, but we're going into this land that's different than Egypt. And he, and he says this in Deuteronomy chapter 11. He says, for the land that you're entering to possess is not like the land of Egypt from which you have come, where you sowed your seed and irrigated by hand as in a vegetable garden. Okay, it was, it was easy. It was, you, you, you could sow seed, it just, it was like by hand, like a vegetable garden. But the land, which is not like the land that you were from, it's not like Egypt, but the land that you're entering to possess is a land of mountains and valleys watered by rain from the sky. It's a land the Lord your God cares for. He's always watching over it from the beginning to the end of the year. Okay, so you got Egypt, and it's like this well-watered vegetable garden, a vegetable garden that can be hand-irrigated, but God is sending them to a place without the Nile, without this amazing river, but instead one that is going to depend on the, on the rains. That they're going to have to trust God every year, every season to send rain at the right time. They're not going to have the river to lean on. All they have is, is God to lean on and trust God for the rain every season, every year. Egypt was the best land. Maybe when we read about how the people were grumbling and to go back to Egypt, to go back to Egypt, maybe, again, maybe, maybe, maybe they're not thinking, oh, let's go back and be slaves in Egypt. Maybe they're thinking, Egypt army has been decimated, drowned in the Red Sea. We all saw it with our own eyes. The land has been completely decimated, and, and the, the government has is, is, is been weak and, and worn down, and all the firstborn are dead. Why don't we just go back and take the best land? We've got an army here of people. They have no army. Let's just go take the best land for ourselves. And, and that can be our land, and we can have that now, and we don't have to wait to conquer the promised land because Egypt is weak, and we could take it. 
Let me show you the map here. There's a map of the area. So um, the blue area, the blue circle area is the promised land. The green circle area is Egypt down below. That's the best. And when God's people left Egypt, they kind of followed the red line and, and kind of swoosh around and go in, across the Red Sea and across to the ancient land of Midian, which is on the, the right there. And then they go up and they are about to go into land, but then, nope, they freak out. And so they wander in the wilderness for 40 years. And then they spend some time in the yellow circle area on the east side of the, the Jordan. And during their time there, they, they kind of they kind of take out some of the country, nations that are there and they kind of settle in that land for a bit of time. And while they're there, two and a half tribes say, hey, can we stay here on this side and we'll help you take the promised land, but we'd like to stay on this side. And what I discovered is, and I'd spent some days over there in that yellow circle when I was in there, that Egypt, the green area, that's the best. But actually that yellow area is also much better than the promised land. The land on the east side is much better for two huge reasons. First of all, it gets so much more money. It is so much more wealthy on that side because you have all the caravans coming across the desert and, and up from, from Arabia. And it is so much more wealth goes through there in, in, uh, on that side of the Jordan. And also, like, so the, we, we read that the, the, there's a reliance on the rains in the promised land, and you still need, you get the same rains on the other side, except for you also have four year-round rivers on, the, on that side, which just allow for more consistency on water. It, it's better for water, it's better for, for wealth. And yet, that's not where God, God sent them. He, God sent them to the promised land, which wasn't going to have as much money, which wasn't going to have the Nile, which wasn't going to be as mighty. Instead, he sent them to a land that was going to require them to trust him, to live by faith. I, I guess I guess I always thought like maybe God had, had said it was the best land. But he doesn't, doesn't say it's the best land. He says, though, that it's the place that he cares about. He says it's the place that he's watching over. And there's a lesson here. There's a lesson here. Part of learning contentment is learning to look at the life that God has given you. Looking at the life that God has given you. Not what he's given your neighbor, not what he's given your friend, not what he's given that Instagram influencer that you've never met, but you really feel like you know them. <laughs> like it, the life that God has given you. And you know what? Your life might require more faith for some of the basics. For enough food for today. Your life might require just a bit more faith in, than the people next door, the people in your church. Accepting that your life may not flow with as much money as your neighbor to the east, that's part of learning to be content. Part of learning to be content is accepting that your life may not be as successful as your neighbor down to the southwest. But God has given you what he has chosen to give you for now. Can you trust him without growing upset that you don't have it as easy as that neighbor to the south or as much money as the neighbor to the east? Can you trust him with what he's given you now? Contentment is about accepting what God has given you, be it much or little. And if your life needs a little bit more faith, if your life requires a little bit more trusting God than your neighbor, don't waste your life upset about that. Don't, don't waste your life wishing you had what your neighbor had. Instead, instead, just be like, God, I accept joyfully 
the life that you have entrusted to me. I, I, I accept thankfully what you in your brilliance have decided to give me right now. And it might be a little bit more uncomfortable. Maybe it's not exactly what I would prefer. But I'm going to choose to trust you. And I'm going to say thank you for what you have given me. And I'm going to be content and at peace with this. Paul learned to be content, whatever his circumstances. And that's the key for us on our road to living with peace. So how do we grow? How do we grow in this? How do we learn to grow in this area? Six quick things. Six quick things to grow in contentment. Number one is this. Tell yourself to be more content. And yeah, it, it really might be that that easy for some of you. You just need to have a little bit of a heart rebuke. Heart, stop being greedy. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm not greedy. I just want more stuff. <laughs> okay, whatever. Uh, stop being greedy. No, no, no. I just need a little bit more money or I just need a little bit more. I need six more. I don't know. Uh, stop being greedy, heart. Always wanting more. Stop comparing yourself to everybody else and just, heart, be more content. Be content. Number two, Stop dwelling on what you don't have. Stop dwelling on what you don't have. Some of you just need to start by telling yourself to stop obsessing over what you want but don't have yet. Stop obsessing over that. Some of you need to be like, okay, I, I need to stop obsessing over the life that I want but I, I don't have yet. Or, or the people, the relationships that I want but I don't have yet. Or, or maybe the things that I want but I don't have yet. Comparing your life to others will zap your chances for peace and contentment. You won't get there that way. Don't compare. Don't compare. Think of that weird Welsh guy on the Go Compare website. He's like singing out, Go Compare. It's just change the words. Don't compare. Don't compare. You know, don't, I don't know. That's stupid. Sorry. <laughs> Number three. Number three, seek God's perspective and purposes. Seek God's perspective and purposes. There are great things that God can teach you today in any context, in any situation, even terrible situations. God has a lot that he can teach you in this moment. Maybe the enemy is running wild and, and he, enemy is out of control. Maybe there's injustice around your life or maybe there's some evil around your life. In those situations, seek God's perspective, especially if there's something that you can't do anything about. God, I'm here in this situation. There's unjust injustice around me. Uh, what, why have you placed me here? Why have you allowed me to be here? What, what is it that you have for me? What is your assignment for me in this context? What do you want me to learn? I'm not saying that you're in an evil situation to teach you something, but God may be able to teach you some things in that particular context. Uh, do I need to learn perseverance? Do I need to learn love, love for enemies? Do I need to learn patience? Uh, how to pray? How to go to you instead of other people for my, my identity and for my, my comfort? Uh, do I need to faith? Do I need to learn faith in this time? Now, I know that some, of, some situations are pure evil. They're pure evil and, and the right thing to do is actually, maybe in some context, to run. To, to run. Paul runs from cities where they're going to abuse him and, and, and try and murder him and, and destroy him. Uh, if you are in an abusive situation or an evil context and you can get out, then go. Then run. Then, then get out. Contentment does not mean to stay and be abused. 
Contentment does not mean to stay and be abused. If you can run, run. If you don't know where to run or if you need help to get from here to there, you can email me. Brian, B-R-I-A-N, at rehope.co.uk, and somebody and somebody in our church will get to you and try and help you get from here to there. Maybe you can Google, uh, where do I go if I, if I need help? But we can help Google that with you and help you get from here to there. We want you to be safe. And if you're not in a safe place, we want to make sure that you're in a safe place. If you need to run, we want to help you get out. There's some awful situations out there. And you might be in one of them. Uh, we want to pray for you and we want to help you get from here to there. Now there's some situations that are awful, but maybe not quite that extreme where it's not, not run time yet. And, and so in those situations, we can seek God's purposes. Okay, God, this is not my ideal. And in fact, this is actually not very enjoyable at all but what is it that you want from me in this moment what do you and seeking God's perspective and purposes that's number three the fourth thing is anchor in God's promises anchoring God's promises and that is, we have the perfect example of of this when it comes to contentment in Hebrews chapter 13 anchoring God's promises in Hebrews 13 the author of Hebrews says be satisfied with what you have. Okay, that's the contentment state. That's the exact same context. Be satisfied with what you have for he, God himself, has said, we're anchoring it into what God has said, our contentment. God has said, I will never leave you or abandon you. That is the promise. That is, some, that is the author of Hebrews anchoring contentment in the promises of God. And then the response, therefore, we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. That's how he's described himself in the Bible. I will not be afraid. The right response to rightly trusting God. What can man do to me? We can anchor our contentment for today and thinking about God, how he's with us, how he is, he's paying attention, how he cares for us, and all the promises of God and, and knowing his nature that he rescues and redeems and, and, act and saves that's number four. Number five, fill your life with praising and thanking God. Praise God in your prayers over and over and over again, thinking and, and pondering about the, the, the good things. You know, some, some people, most people who are not content are way too transfixed on what they don't have and what they're not thankful for than what they are thankful for. Um, determined to set out ways to praise God and to be thankful for God. It, it may seem like a small thing, but it is a life-transforming practice. Um, I, we always have things where we can be thankful for. I, I think of one of the top 1,000 movies of all time, um, White Christmas. White Christmas, I know that it's, it's not Christmas time yet, but it's on its way. We're getting closer every day. Uh, White Christmas. And you got that Bing Crosby, and, he, and he's singing along. He's singing along, if you're worried and you can't sleep. And he goes on and count your blessings instead of sheep. And, your blessings. and then when your bankroll is getting small, just think of when you had none at all. And, and th those kinds of advice, although he's not, as far as I know, he's, he's not a believer. It's, it's that kind of thinking of, of, okay, yes, my bankroll is getting small, but I have things that I can be thankful for, that it's, it's not worse than this. That, that I can think of uh, that, you know, like I have God who I can pray to and, and who actually does provide. I, I have friends and family who can join me in praying and, and maybe help me in this moment. You, you can think about the ways, um, the ways that 
to praise God and the, for all these different reasons, to think big and think wonderful. Thank you, God, for the sun. There's people who are grumbling in Glasgow about the sun. It is hard to believe that that is happening, and yet it's happening. It's like, oh, we're in lockdown and it's sunny. Uh, it's like, no, we, we can be thankful that it, it's not as gloomy as it is possible to be in this city. The Psalms are filled with examples after examples after examples of people in tough and dangerous and scary situations choosing to still find ways to praise God. And sometimes they're praising God for what God will do in the future or what he can do in the future when it's really rough. That's number five. Number six, practice urgent pleading without freaking. Yeah, I, I, I came up with that myself. You're like, yeah, that sounds like Ingraham. Yeah, practice urgent pleading without freaking. Contentment and passivity are not the same thing. Did you hear that? Contentment and passivity are not the same thing. There is such a, a thing as a holy agitation. Holy agitation. Now, holy agitation can be angry uh, and upset about injustice or abuse or, or evil and all that kind of stuff. It can be angry about that. Holy agitation can, can, can provoke us to powerful prayers, tearful prayers, pleading prayers. God intervene in this situation. Um, that, that agitation can, can just drive us on our knees in desperation, in urgency. And the thing that we need to learn is to pray with urgency and passion and, 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 and in alignment with repulsion of evil whilst also not freaking out so much that we lose our ability to have peace. To have peace, to have contentment. You can have an agitation in your spirit pleading with God to intervene and be like, okay, today though, I'm, I'm going to be content in my situation. God, please, I'm pleading with you to intervene and, and, and step in, in in this situation. Rescue me in my life. Rescue me in, or provide this situation. But today, I'm not going to be destroyed by my agitation. I'm going to plead in my agitation whilst returning to contentment and peace. So many of the Psalms, all but one, of course, there's always one, all but, all but one, they, there's the pleading, and then there's the returning to, okay, but God, you are good. And I trust you. That, that sort of return to a contentment place. The Psalms are a great model for this. Okay, so the challenge this week, the challenge this week is to identify the ways that you tend to feel dis, uh, discontentment. Identify the ways you tend to feel discontentment and prayer, prayerfully work through these six steps. And you're like, oh no, I didn't write them down. Oh my goodness. Oh well, lucky for you, you've logged into church online and they're right there in the chat. And you can, and you can screenshot those or whatever. But identify the ways you tend to feel discontentment and prayerfully work through these six steps. Um, another thing, uh, Caitlin was mentioning this this, uh, the Contentment Journal. It's called the Contentment Journal. You can get it on Amazon. It's written by uh, Rachel Cruz, C-R-U-Z-E, Rachel Cruz. And she uh, put together a 90-day journal towards, for moving towards contentment. A 90-day journaling journey towards contentment. Something like that, Rachel Cruz. Uh, it's called, again, the Contentment Journal. Uh, so you can check that out if that appeals to you. Okay, back to the picture. Back to the picture. So again, the hill country of, of Judah here, 
or Judea, depending on what era this is. Maybe you look at this picture and you think, okay, actually, I could be content there. I don't know what Brian's talking about. Like, I could totally be content there. Okay, that's not the point of this picture. That's not the point of this picture. The point of this picture is that is the place that God gave them. And they were to embrace it for its strengths and its weaknesses. And they, they were supposed to embrace it for its peacefulness and not grumble that it wasn't, it didn't have the, the money and resources that they had, that the neighbors to the east had. To embrace its, its calm and its serenity as opposed to the, the ability to have a, a, an empire hub or the Nile River and all that kind of stuff. It wasn't the best land. It wasn't the richest land. But they were to embrace the land that it was for what it was. And the same is true with your life. How are you doing at being content with the life that God has given you? How are you doing with being content for your today, today? And I, and I just encourage you to, to, to take up the challenge of, of being content today. Even if we're praying urgently for things to change tomorrow, and I encourage you to do that, even if we're praying urgently for, for God to intervene in, our, in maybe in our relationships or our financial situations and all that kind of stuff, I'm not saying to be passive. I'm saying to be active in prayer, but also anchored in peace. I believe no matter your context, no matter your situation, no matter how challenging your moment is today, I believe that you can have peace today. That you can be content today. You can be content today. In fact, that's what I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray that for all of us right now.